How many of you, uh, how many of these do you think I can do uh, before running out? I, I'd say I have three or four left in me. I don't know. Not 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 the podcast, just that little thing where I make up a little scat song right before. How many times do you think I can do that? I've done it quite a bit, and it's probably getting old for some of you. But uh, it's just something a little nice and silly that I enjoy doing. Welcome back to the Whatever Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Stone, and I'm really happy you chose to take this time to listen to me, and hopefully I can entertain and inform. I hope you enjoyed that last episode, because I really liked looking into the Dyatlov Pass incident especially. I, I do have a fondness for true crime, and I'm sure a lot of you do too. The numbers on this podcast are doing pretty well. Uh, I've reached over 100 downloads on the Bigfoot episode, which is very cool. Um... And I know 100 is not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like a milestone, you know? And I think that's something to celebrate. So uh, I I love that I'm getting this kind of support from you all, and I am very appreciative that you have taken the time to listen to, you know, little old me. Please let your friends know about the Whatever Podcast, because I want to talk to them too. I mean, you had a good time, right? I also appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts, although I've only really gotten one. Uh, And since I have broken 100 listens on, or downloads, on the Bigfoot episode, I'd like to do something special for you to know. I'd like like to do something special for you now, is what I meant to say. Uh, I'd like to read it to you, even though it's it's definitely not serious, and I I do know who wrote it, uh, but it... It makes me laugh a lot, and I think it's funny, uh, just funny enough to put on the show this week. So, to the person who wrote this review, thank you so much. And I do appreciate it a lot. Uh, This review was sent in by a user going by the name of Ghost of Teddy Roosevelt. It's review time. I'm not sure how it happened. Before listening to this podcast, I had a list of medical issues a mile long. This podcast and essential oils cured them all. Webbed toes, cured. Tennis elbow, cured. Hysterical pregnancy, cured. Hot dog fingers, cured. Wonky knee, less wonky. Texting thumbs, now perfectly straight. Ringing in my ears, now the quiet humming of angels. All thanks to Charlie Stone's Whatever Podcast. Thank you for your reviews. If you'd like to hear more weird and wacky reviews, take the next step and leave one. Make sure to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts as well, because who knows? Maybe with better reviews, this will reach more people and we'll get more attention. And I would love that. Thanks. Today's podcast is about one of the U.S. states, which I've never been to, although I have been to about half. Uh, West Virginia, Mountain Mama, is supposed to be one of the most beautiful states in the Union, although it has a reputation for hillbillies and cousins getting a little too close. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying that's what the stereotypes are. According to U.S. News, West Virginia is ranked 47th out of 50 in a list of all of the states based on education... Healthcare, 
opportunity and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that's not a good look for West Virginia, but there's something else about West Virginia that might run superstitious people off um, besides being 47th out of 50. <laughs> I'm not sure what it beat. Um, actually, I'm going to look that up right now. So hold on a minute. Top 50 states to live in. Uh, full rankings list. And this is from U.S. News. Um, and, you know, I, I think they're a credible source. And they have rankings based on a bunch of stuff. There's 20, 29... Side note, Tennessee is 29th, which, fair, I guess. That's about half. Not terrible. Not great either. And that's uh, that's Tennessee. Except East Tennessee. That's the best part. Okay. Number 50 is Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico. Okay. So West Virginia is beating New Mexico, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Um, and I think Louisiana is only down there because it has one good city that everybody knows about uh and the rest is kind of swamps and backwoods uh if you're from louisiana i apologize uh this is based on uh my own personal stigmas so if you don't like that sorry uh feed me to an alligator i guess and then um do some voodoo (laughs) i don't know that was that was stupid um so getting back on track, <laughs> sorry, uh, most if not all of the United States have their fair share of cryptids, uh, but West Virginia has some of the most memorable ones. Mothman, the Flatwoods Monster, and several other less famous critters call West Virginia home, but before we get into these creatures, let's do a little bit of digging into West Virginia's history. Now I'm not going to start with the people who were before the European settlers for two reasons. One, I think the history of West Virginia really starts when it began became a state, uh, so there's no real reason to talk about the land it was before it became a state. And two, because Native American research is always tough, because no one ever kept any records back then, so there's no real way to get all that I need out of that research. And I have talked about um, Native American stuff in the Bigfoot episode especially, um, and I guess that's on the real the real source for most of my Native American research. And it was tough uh, because there's not a whole lot out there. Um, I wish there was more because Native American mythology is so cool. It's it's not really something that we talk about too often. But a lot of my favorite U.S. monsters come from Native American lore. So I wish that it was more easily accessible. But who knows? Uh, So West Virginia has its roots in the Civil War when the state of Virginia decided to secede from the Union because of various complaints about how owning folks was a cool thing to do. Uh, For reference, owning people isn't cool, and the Whatever podcast is proudly anti-slavery. Now, I know that's a pretty controversial stance, but I'm sure I have a few listeners who agree with me. Anyway... When Virginia seceded, the western part with all of the mountains thought it wasn't cool to own folks, or at least that seceding from the government was basically treason. Either way, 
They declared themselves a separate state, and it became official on June 20th, 1863. A condition for entry into the Union was emancipation of slaves, so West Virginia had to do that anyway. Good, good on them. After the Civil War, West Virginia was important for the development of the country, and the main reason they were so integral was their abundance of coal. Now, I don't know much about West Virginia off the top of my head, uh, that isn't in a John Denver song, but the one thing I do know about is the coal mines. Now, I'm a bit of a uh, drama guy. I've done several plays and musicals during my time in college, and one of them had me playing a coal miner in West Virginia who died in a mine explosion. Uh, we did do some research for the role. Uh, we had a... I don't remember he, if he was a former coal miner or if he had relatives who were coal miners, but he did live in West Virginia... Um, and he had been close to several coal mines and did recall uh, one coal mine disaster. Um, coal mining is dangerous work. Uh, as you probably know, coal's used for fuel, so it's highly combustible. More dangerous than the coal are the various gases, um, mostly methane, um, in coal mines, which can lead to large-scale death and destruction if even one spark bounces off a rock and into the air. Part of West Virginia's legacy was the unionization of coal mining after some major mine disasters. From the early 20th century until the Great Depression in the 1930s, the Army and National Guard were sent many times to West Virginia to quell labor disputes and riots. Finally, in the 1930s, miners were able to unionize for more safety and better pay. Now, according to the West Virginia Encyclopedia, a mine disaster is constituted by three or more fatalities in a mining accident. According to this page uh, that I researched this on, there have been 119 disasters in West Virginia's history, with a fatality count of around 21,000 people, which... I don't know if uh, you're good at counting, but that's a lot. Um, the first documented mine disaster happened in 1886 in the Mountain Brook mine shaft in Newburgh, where 39 men died in a methane explosion. That's, <laughs> that's, that's so much. Um, and I hate that that's a part of West Virginia's history, but it is. Uh, and... I don't know what I would do if I were caught in a First of all, I would never go into a mine unless I absolutely had to because it seems like I would have to bend over most of the time. Uh, and that's that would be bad for my back. But also, the highly combustible and deadly environment that I would find myself in. I, would, I wouldn't want to go in in the first place. Um, I don't exactly consider myself spiritual by the definition of good and bad karma or crystals having healing powers or bad vibes having an effect on the physical world, but if a place has this much death, I think it's a mighty big coincidence that so many weird monster things live or have been seen in this part of the country. Maybe the death in those ancient hills attracts things that aren't exactly normal. I have no idea. But now it's time for... What do I know? I don't know a whole lot about monsters from West Virginia, having never visited it myself, but I know a few things. 
Firstly, in Point Pleasant, there have been sightings of a large creature, roughly shaped like a man, with massive wings and glowing red eyes. I know that somewhere near Grafton, people reported seeing a shambling monster with no head. I know about the visitor from a faraway galaxy, who looks like a man, but who is definitely not. All of these creatures will be explored in this episode, plus a few more, so stick around. Well, I guess that's what I know. Now, the first thing we need to cover for this episode is a review of what exactly a cryptid is. A cryptid is something, an animal usually, that cannot be explained by science. West Virginia is not only known for creatures native to Earth, however. Some of the unexplained creatures from West Virginia have come from the skies. Uh, And since there are so many unexplained creatures from West Virginia, I'm going to have to break this episode into two or more parts. Uh, This part will only have three cryptids, so if you don't hear about your favorite cryptid from West Virginia, just hold on. Maybe they'll be in part two. The most famous unexplained visitor to West Virginia is the Mothman. Uh, Point Pleasant is a tiny town of about three square miles, uh, at least downtown, uh, and as of 2020 had a population of just over 4,000 people. As far as a place for weird stuff, this is pretty good for it to happen because there aren't a whole lot of people, and who would believe them anyway? The sighting started on November 12, 1966. Clendenin, West Virginia, is about an hour away from Point Point Pleasant, and the place where Mothman may have been first sighted. Five grave diggers were working outside the town when they saw what they said was a man with wings gliding above them. Now, certainly, this could have been a huge bird or something, but the proximity in both miles and time to the Point Pleasant sightings of Mothman make this possible sighting, you know, a a little bit more credible. The Point Pleasant sightings began a few days later outside of the city in an area locals call the TNT area, or the West Virginia Ordnance Works Munitions Plant, uh, because of explosives testing that went on there during World War II. Uh, It was shut down at the time because they didn't really need a place to store munitions or anything for World War II. Um, Like I said, it was used as a weapons depot for explosive storage, but more importantly, it was a facility for the development and construction of atomic bombs during the war. On the night of November 15th, 1966, two married couples, uh, (laughs) two young married couples, Roger and Linda Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette, were taking a drive around the TNT area and were having a nice time by all accounts. This changed when the couple saw something in the road that I would probably freak out over if I saw it in real life. The figure was described by the people in the car as being between six and seven feet tall, with a ten or so foot wingspan and red eyes which glowed in the headlights. Now, understandably, the people in the car sped away, but there was a bit of a problem. Uh, As they got up to 100 miles an hour, Roger, the driver, looked in the rearview mirror and saw the strange figure flying behind their car and matching their speed, which I will remind you was over 100 miles per hour. Now, fortunately, the figure stopped following them when they entered the Point Pleasant city limits, but they were all shaken up by the encounter. The next day in the Point Pleasant Register, a local newspaper, 
An article was published called Couple See Man-Sized Bird Creature Something. This started a year-long craze of people reporting to see what an anonymous Ohio reporter deemed the Mothman. And he might have gotten this name, uh, I saw on several sites, from the Batman villain, who was popular at the time, Killer Moth, who was a dude who dressed up in a moth costume. Um, Not one of Batman's A-list villains. Uh, Originally... The monster was called the Mason Bird Monster, but that was less cool, so people went with Mothman. All told, there were more than 100 reported sightings of Mothman, but none of them were really proven, uh, much like other cryptids and monsters. Now, the Mothman sightings culminated in another disaster in West Virginia, but this one had nothing to do with mining. On December 15, 1967, 13 months after the first Mothman sighting, the silver bridge between Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio, collapsed at 4.58 p.m. during rush hour traffic. According to those investigating the collapse, the disaster was due to a fracture in one chain holding the bridge up and could have been easily prevented. But it wasn't, so 46 people lost their lives to the Ohio River. Various spectators claimed to have seen Mothman on top of the Silver Bridge, uh, and several people saw, quote-unquote saw, Mothman around the bridge days before the incident. Um, So they figured he was there for one of two things. Either Mothman is a harbinger of doom, meaning he was trying to warn people, or he caused the disaster himself for unknown reasons. Is Mothman an evil being setting on, set on causing harm and terrifying people? Or is it really just a giant moth trying to warn people? After the Silver Bridge disaster, Mothman just sort of disappeared, leading more people to believe the theory that he was attempting to warn the folks of Point Pleasant about the coming tragedy. The book and film, The Mothman Prophecies, attempts to uh, shed some light on why Mothman chose Point Pleasant. The movie, which was released in 2002 and with a pretty good cast, including Richard Gere and Will Patton, uh, received middling reviews and a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Not great, but good enough, I'd say. Pretty average. Um... There have been several documentaries on Mothman trying to figure out just what it is, what it wants, and if it could be back. Because this episode contains several unexplainable creatures, I'm not going to do a what could it be for each of them, since that would get annoying. Instead, I'm just going to allow you to imagine in your head uh, that you're hearing the theremin music and that excellent voice acting on my part. No. You know what? Actually... I'll play one right now, just for you. Just one. Oh, Harold, what could it be? I just don't know. Several theories have emerged about what this mysterious flying figure could be in reality. The one I think is the most probable is that people mistook a sandhill crane for Mothman. The reason I think this is, is because the crane is a pretty big bird, so it could easily be mistaken for something human-like in the dark. And with its nearly 4-foot height and 6.5-foot wingspan, you know, the, the mistake could be, you know, understandable. 
Um, the Sandhill Crane also has red patches around its eyes, which could account for the red eyes people said that they saw. The problem is that people often said that Mothman was nearly seven feet tall. So was it like a mutant crane? Or maybe it wasn't a crane at all. Another bird could be responsible for the Mothman sightings. The barred owl is not as big as the Sandhill Crane, with a four to five foot wingspan and a two foot body. The thing that leads credence to the owl theory is their eyes. Barred owls have very reflective eyes and could fly silently, making them creepy without being supernatural. The problem is, like the crane, the barred owl is just too small. And I don't think that a barred owl could keep up with a car going 100 miles an hour. I have problems with that, too. The theory that I like the best, not because it's plausible or even possible, but because I like creepy stuff, says that Mothman is the result of a Native American curse called down on Point Pleasant by Chief Cornstalk. Around 1774, Shawnee tribes and white settlers were at each other's throats because of property disputes. The story goes that the Shawnee were beaten by the settlers, so Chief Cornstalk, the leader, uh, became an advocate for peace between the two people. He heard about an upcoming attack on the settlers, so he and a party went to warn them. While Cornstalk and his men were with the settlers, there were several attacks on settler parties by natives, and so the settlers with Cornstalk decided to execute him and his men. Cornstalk was justifiably angry, so before his death he is quoted as saying, I came to your house as a friend, and you have murdered me. You kill my son, Elenopisico. For this, may the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this spot. May it be cursed by nature. May its hopes be forever blighted. Oh, that's what it was. Now, if Chief Cornstalk had put that curse on all of West Virginia, I think this could be a more plausible, uh, you know, solution uh, because of all the mine disasters. But the Mothman being a curse on Point Pleasant doesn't make much sense for me for one main reason. Sure, he may have caused the bridge disaster, but Point Pleasant makes millions of dollars off of Mothman every year. Beginning in 2002, Point Pleasant hosted the Mothman Festival every year, you know, with the exception of COVID years, and it's free to come to and engage in to this day. But with thousands of people in Point Pleasant for a few days, vendors make bank. If Mothman was really a curse, I don't think he would be bringing prosperity to Point Pleasant. I think he might have burnt it down. Uh, and, and that's the reason why I don't think he's a curse. Um, although there's no real way that Chief Cornstalk would have known that they would use uh, a strange creature for profit. There is a Mothman museum in Point Pleasant. Uh, there's a Mothman statue in the town square uh, near the museum. Mothman is really the main thing bringing money to Point Pleasant every year. Um, <clears throat> like I said, it's a small town, so there, there really isn't much pull except for Mothman. So him being the breadwinner, essentially, for this town, it doesn't make him sound like a curse. Okay, so let's shift gears away from Mothman and take a look at another strange visitor to West Virginia. Have you ever heard about the Uncanny Valley? Well, this guy makes me uncomfortable for that very reason. The Uncanny Valley is the human reaction to something that looks human, but obviously is not. 
Most Uncanny Valley stuff comes from robots who look human, but aren't really living. Uh, there's a quote from Narnia, I think. Uh, one of the beavers that the Pevensey children hide with says that um, things that look human but aren't, or used to be human and aren't anymore, can seldom be trusted. Um, and I think part of that comes from the Uncanny Valley thing, which has existed for thousands of years, um, and n not just with the invention of robots. And that brings up another thing. Uh, a lot of traits, scientists think, a lot of traits that we have now come from gradual evolution over time. So the Uncanny Valley would indicate that at some point in history, people had to be on the lookout for things that looked human but weren't. Um, and I think that's bonkers. Uh, <laughs> I am so scared of that. Uh, and I don't know what that could be. Could it be, you know, monsters that can shapeshift or, or aliens or something like that? Um, I'm very scared of that. <laughs> uh, w one of the things that scares me in horror movies the most is uh, people not acting like people um, and doing things that they normally shouldn't be able to do. Has anybody seen Hereditary? Uh, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, very scary. It gets me every time. The The main thing is, at the end, spoilers here, um, the mother of the family has been possessed, and she is crawling on the walls uh, and, like, hiding in corners of the ceiling uh, and floating. And that makes my skin crawl even thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting the shivers right now. Um, yeah, it... it, it, it I'm going to see the Evil Dead Rise uh, tomorrow, and I think that might have the same effect on me because um, people doing things that people shouldn't be able to do uh, and being possessed by something that looks human but definitely isn't. Okay, we got way off track, and we've been doing that a lot this episode. I apologize. Um, maybe you like my tangents. If you do, God bless you. Uh, the first sighting of Indrid Cold may have come in 1966, but the sighting's veracity is questioned by people interested in cold. October 16, 1966, Martin Munoff and Jimmy Yanchitis were walking through Jersey City on 4th Street when they saw something weird. According to the two boys, the figure they saw standing by a fence was tall maybe six foot two, and was wearing a reflective green suit of some kind. Most bizarrely, this figure had no ears, nose, or hair. It had large eyes set far apart and was smiling largely and unnervingly. The boys stared at the figure for a while until it started to chase them. They booked it, looked back, and the figure was gone. Now, like I said, this may or may not have been Indrid Cold, but the figure in New Jersey shared a a few key features with the West Virginia version. November 2nd, 1966, Woodrow Derenberger was in his truck on I-77 near Parkersburg, West Virginia, driving home. Suddenly, a craft appeared in the sky, and Derenberger described it as shaped like an oil lamp, with wide sides curving in, meeting in the middle to create a round shape. Uh, just picture a traditional oil lamp. That's pretty close, what you just pictured. 
The craft crash-landed, and Derenberger just watched. Out of the craft came something that looked human, but probably wasn't. This thing was wearing another reflective suit, but this one was blue, so it could have been a different guy. According to Derenberger, quote, His face looked like he had a good tan, deep suntan. He's not too dark, but it just looked like he had been out in the sun a lot and had a good tan. His hair was combed straight back, and it was a dark brown, and he seemed to have a good thick head of hair. His eyebrows, his face, his feature was very normal. I don't believe that he looked any different from any other man you'd meet on the street. Uh, that's what I assume that Woodrow Derenberger sounded like. I could be wrong. Now, this description seems ordinary, but the weird thing about the guy is that he kept an enormous smile plastered on his face. He spoke to Derenberger directly into his head, as in telepathy, and told him that he meant Derenberger no harm. This man would tell Derenberger that his name was Indrid Cold, and that he was from the planet Lanulos in the Ganymedes galaxy. Cold said that he just wanted to know about humankind. Now, Cold seemed to leave after this interaction, but he would visit Derenberger several more times in his life, allegedly taking him far from Earth and learning more about humankind. Derenberger's wife would eventually divorce him because she didn't trust Cold's agenda, calling it, quote, an evil one. Derenberger's life would be ruined by Cold, both because of the trips he would be taken on and the public reaction to his interactions with a supposed alien life form. People would call and visit Derenberger to mock and prank him for his belief in Cold, and he was effectively, you know, a shut-in from there on. Derenberger would die in 1990 without ever recanting his story, so I guess we just have to take his word for it. Indrid Cold may have been seen a third time by a third person, but again, it's the word of another person and a description sort of close to those traditionally given of Cold, so it's kind of up in the air. Uh, this one actually takes place in Point Pleasant, which, as you may remember from a few minutes ago, was the site of the Mothman activity during 1966 and 67. In November of 1966, the same month Mothman would make his debut, a family in Point Pleasant would report poltergeist activity, which basically meant invisible forces doing stuff in their home and things moving seemingly on their own. This culminated in, in the daughter of the family waking one night to see a man looming over her bed. She didn't get a good look at the guy, but he was huge. He had broad shoulders, and most creepily, perhaps, he was grinning from ear to ear. The daughter screamed, ducked under the covers, uh, and waited. When she peeked out, the man was gone. Now, this one has me more skeptical than the others, simply because it could have been simply the imagination of a child dealing with strange events in her home. Night terrors are a real phenomenon, and so is sleep paralysis, which can present itself in the form of figures appearing to the sleeping person. Uh, sleep paralysis, if you don't know, is the phenomenon where you wake up, sort of, uh, in your bed or wherever you're sleeping, and you can't move. You can't even, like, look around. And in the corner of your eye, there's someone in your room. But there's not actually someone in your room. It's just your brain uh, showing you a really scary movie without your consent. Uh, sleep paralysis can also present itself in the form of um, audio hallucination, 
um, where you think you hear stuff that isn't really going on. Um, I never have had sleep paralysis myself, and I don't want to because it sounds terrifying. Now, I don't know if this girl had sleep paralysis because she was able to move and scream, so that's probably not what it was. But I'm skeptical all the same. Uh, now, this is cool. I did some research. Um, it's probably unrelated, but there is a possibility that Indrid Cold was on Earth before his first appearance in 1966. The time, 1957. The place, Alexandria, Virginia. A flying saucer descended upon a field, and the police were quick to respond. From the craft comes a normal-looking guy with brown hair, brown eyes, and a big grin. The weird thing is, he's wearing a golden jumpsuit with no seams or buckles or fasteners of any kind. The man says he means the police no harm, but that he needs a meeting with the President Eisenhower, and he tells them this telepathically. Sounds pretty similar, right? The police take the man to the Pentagon, specifically to the basement, and then uh, down into a subway system underneath that leads directly to the White House. Now again, uh, this is mostly conjecture. I don't know if there's a secret subway system underneath the Pentagon that leads directly to the White House. That'd be pretty cool, though, uh, especially in events like an emergency. The president can just get out of the White House and go somewhere safe. Um, so the visitor is then taken to the Oval Office, and Eisenhower greets him. Uh, the visitor then tells Eisenhower that his name is Valiant Thor. According to Val, which is what people called him, he was sent from Venus by the High Council. Uh, which is a group of aliens who help uh, less developed species uh, to help out Earth by deactivating nuclear arsenals. Val gets an apartment in the Pentagon, and Val, in return, gives the government some help with technology and research. One of the biggest bombs Val drops is that uh, Jesus was an alien, and God, who I assume is also an alien in this context, is displeased with humankind. Now, um, this may just be me, but I think that an alien trying to disarm the world's militaries sounds like a surefire way to make taking over more easily. But hey, I'm no diplomat. Uh, several people have confirmed Valiant Thor's existence, including people in the government, military, and one of Eisenhower's relatives. Uh, after three years of hanging out with Eisenhower, Valiant Thor takes off and leaves our doomed little planet, but his legacy goes on. Was Val the same being who appeared to Woodrow Derenberger? Maybe. Maybe not. According to Dr. Frank Stranges, who wrote some books about the relation between aliens and Christianity, Val never really left, or he would come back periodically. Dr. Stranges met Val several times during his tenure at the Pentagon and was visited by Val many more times after he was done there. Since Dr. Strange is new about aliens and stuff, he claims that he was the victim of many attempted assassinations by, you know, shadow government agents. Uh, but Val was able to save him every time. Do I believe the guy who made a career out of books pointing out the difference between Jesus and E.T.? Not really. This is made easier for me since his books apparently share many parallels with the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still, which had come out some years before his book. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I tend to be skeptical when people, um, like the show Ancient Aliens. Have you ever seen that? There is a lot of conjecture uh, and theories about how the Bible is actually inspired by aliens. And I think that's cool to think about, but do I believe it? No, I do not. Uh, okay, I'll do one more for this first part of the series, and this is kind of a goofier one in the history of West Virginia, since only two people claim to have seen this creature who could also be an alien. The Vegetable Man, or the Veggie Man, was quote-unquote seen around Fairmont, West Virginia by Jennings Frederick and his mother in 1968. I say seen, quote-unquote, because the Veggie Man was compiled in the UFO encrypted files of a man named Gray Barker, uh, who is most famous for his book about books about aliens, uh, so it was pretty much a compilation of hoaxes. Anyway, the story goes that Jennings Frederick was out hunting one day when he heard something weird. He described it as the sound of a record player on the fast mode, so think Alvin and the Chipmunks, but way faster. It just didn't sound right. He went to investigate and saw the strangest thing he'd ever seen. He described the creature he saw as a nearly seven-foot humanoid figure, but it was rail-thin and was at least partially made of plant-like material. It had big ears and eyes that switched between red and yellow. Frederick said that he heard a voice in his head which said, You need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. That is verbatim what the uh, websites said that I looked up. Uh, and then abruptly, the veggie man lunged at him and caught him in a bear hug of sorts. Its fingers, uh, which were <laughs> in the accounts I read, uh, they had suction cups on the end of them. And in those suction cups were thorns, which uh, stabbed into Frederick. But he didn't feel much because his attention was on the thing's eyes. They seemed to hypnotize him in a state of, into a state of helplessness. When the creature was done, it ran away. And Frederick said that he heard humming coming from the other side of a hill he was standing near. He thought that maybe this was the Veggie Man's ship making the thing another alien. The uh, encounter I mentioned earlier, the one with Frederick's mother, Iva, happened earlier when she said she looked out the window to see a strange creature or figure shoveling dirt and grass into a burlap sack and then hopping into a flying saucer and taking off. So to recap, the Vegetable Man, the vegetable man of Fairmont... West Virginia is a nearly seven-foot-tall organism made of some sort of plant-like material that feeds off of human blood if it needs a transfusion, cares about dirt and grass for some reason, and has only been seen by one family in 1968 shortly after sightings of Mothman gained people their 15 minutes of fame. I'm more inclined to think that this one is a definite hoax, but if I'm willing to believe in aliens, I have to take every story with a little bit of belief. Not much, but maybe like a grain. Also, maybe this thing wasn't an alien. I mean, there are some species of plant on Earth capable of some crazy things. The first of which comes to my mind is the Venus flytrap, which can lure flying bugs into its mouth and then dissolve and eat them. If a plant evolved to be able to outsmart some bugs, 
then is it so far out of the range of possibility that a plant evolved to move and interact with humans? Yeah, I think it is. But it's still something spooky to think about. I've made this point about aliens before, that if a higher developed species comes to Earth publicly, we're probably all dead because of the human reaction to things we don't know about. Immediate suspicion, fear, and violence. If we're kind to the plants, which may I remind you outnumber us by a lot, then we should be fine. According to weforum.org, of all the total biomass on Earth, that is, living, thing, living things of any kind, plants make up 82%, while humankind makes up about 0.01%. I'm not saying that you need to actively appease plants like Mark Wahlberg and The Happening, but maybe don't litter, don't abuse plants unnecessarily, and take care of the environment. We really don't want the happening to happen, even though it wasn't a very good movie. With that, we'll close this part of the first ever two-part whatever podcast. Stay tuned for the next part as I'm diving into some of the lesser-known cryptids from the state closest to heaven, and let me tell you, they're going to be weird. I hope you all have a great week, and as always, it's whatever.